Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome back to America's Talk radio show about opera, period. We're live, WNUR 89.3 FM and HD, Northwestern, Evanston, Chicago. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined tonight by Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and our guest co-host, conductor Anthony Beresi. All right, one hour of our three-hour epic is in the books. The season finale continues. For those of you listening to our show live, we're on the air from now to 10 p.m. Central. For our podcast listeners, you're going to get this marathon show split up into three one-hour releases, August 13, 20, and 27. Still a ton to talk about tonight, including Bereze's inducting of a true rarity into the OBS Hall of Fame. Our team talks about productions they've just got to see in the upcoming season. Oliver goes inside the huddle with American soprano Marisol Montalvo. Camacho and Cummings face off in a brutal TKO match featuring a mad scene. And of course, you can always get your voice on the air, 847-866-WNUR, the number right here in the studio. Give us your hot take. Let us know what you're thinking about what we're talking about, 847-866-WNUR. Tweet us at Opera Box Score. Post on that Facebook page. Great to have such a full house So and the, at the end of the last show, uh, we didn't give a chance for Anthony Brazier to give a good call. Let's, let's kick it off with that. Oh, I mean, I guess I don't have an opera one, so my good call is that uh, Lewis Hamilton has uh, extended his his lead in the drivers' championship of in Formula One. Ooh, and uh, very exciting. He's he's not only the the first black uh, driver in the sports history, but he's probably the best driver in the sports history, and it's really exciting to see his uh, lead just grow and grow. And he's British. Yeah, just like Jane Glover, who's just a like who's Jane a Glover. who's a lovely woman. Would you ever say that you know? Um, Andrew Davis is a lovely man. I would. Yeah. I mean, I, I, he is. I like his beard. Okay. <laughs> um, so anyway, no, but him being black is important to us. We care about black. And, and diversity. <laughs> also, <laughs> well, no, Brace, I have a question. What's up? Uh, how do you determine, I mean, his longevity? I mean, I know like Schumacher is a name Schumacher that I know. Schumacher has seven world titles. Right. Uh, and currently, um, I, think, I believe uh, Hamilton has five. Wow. And he's younger, and he's going to stay in. I mean, Schumacher's already um, <coughs> retired. Mm-hmm. So Hamilton, if he wins this year and he wins next year, and he, I mean, he could easily – he's shattering other records. Like he won m- more Grand Prix at, at Hungary than any other 
driver. He's just shattering records every single time so he races. So I'm completely ignorant of most sports, but especially Formula One. What type of athletic is required? Athleticism required? In you got to push the accelerator really. Good. No, you, you these guys like the G-force on their necks alone is mm. insane. These cars are going like oh, over, over two hundred miles an hour. Like they, they have full body. I mean, they are ripped. They are lean. They are. Mm. They're. They are. I, I kind of equate <laughs> it actually. It's, it's a yeah, little. You should. I mean, you. It's Lewis a Hamilton is a gorgeous man. He is. He is. Hey. He's. Beautiful. It's a little bit different, Oliver, but it's similar to golf in that it's people. It's, it's not like yeah. running and jumping in athleticism, but the amount of control and precision that you have to have to control the machine that they're in is absolutely out of this world. It's also it extremely dangerous. Extremely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. And Oliver loves die. a bad. Oh boy. yeah, I'd hit that. How about we root for the home team? Baseball season. Underway. Fall preview, so we're doing this triple header tonight. We're going to be back right after Labor Day. We figured it was a, a good opportunity for us to go around the horn and talk about a show that we were really excited for. And let's see here. We got this segment, and then we got one coming up in about 40 minutes where we're going to wrap it up. But I'm thinking that Matt and Weston and, I don't know, Toby, you want to go in this round? And then me and Oliver and Anthony will go. I don't think Anthony has one. I have, so. I have one. I make, it's, okay. it's, He'll make it up. We'll give him a little okay. bit of time. Okay. Yeah, plus, sure. plus, plus Matt and Weston, you've got some clips to play. As oh, we do. I have clips to play, too. You do have clips, but I want to spread it out okay. a little bit. So um, I'll go first. I'm, go, I'm going with the hometown team. Mm. because this oh, is Can you play the jingle for hometown team? You have it set up. No, I will. Yeah, I will. I'll add that in one second. Okay. He's uh, scrolling. He's scrolling. <laughs> he's scrolling, folks. He's running away. You don't so need to wait. This was the, uh, the, this was the most exciting thing to me about the Lyric Opera's upcoming season, which is that in the fall they're going to be doing Louisa Miller, yes. which is, a, I think, a really great opera that, doesn't really get done that much, even though it, it's the one that comes basically right before Rigoletto Traviata Trovatore in his uh, in his compositional catalog, uh, and it has a lot of the same strengths as them, and it is just a little bit, di it's quite a bit different, so it's a nice kind of change of pace. Uh, there was a pretty high-profile production of it that happened at the Met a couple of years, yeah, last year, or the yep. year before. Uh, but the cast of the Chicago production is is pretty great to me. The the Louisa is Kresimir Stoyanova, a Bulgarian soprano, a Verdi specialist. Uh, Tenor is Joseph Kalea, and then Christian Van Horn and Quinn oh. Kelsey rounding out the the low male voices. I love Chris, Quinn Who's Kelsey. Conducting? Quinn Kelsey is great. Uh, Mazzola great. is conducting. So we got uh, and. Louisa Miller has some really interesting ensembles in, in it, uh, especially both of the both of the finales. And this is part of the lyrics project to do some of the earlier Verity works that don't get done so often. Uh, and here's a little. Uh, well, let, let's listen to the a, a piece of the Act One finale, uh, which is clip number one. Clip number one. Is this right? <laughs> Oh, 
So that was the other clip. This that was from Act Two, uh, and but but it you don't usually hear an a cappella opera ensemble, uh, but there that that goes on for a couple more minutes. Was, is that from the finale? That's from uh, no, it's from Act Two, Scene One. Okay, uh, and it's uh, Louisa is being confronted by her rival, the Duchess, and the the two low the low voiced men are being menacing in the background. Uh, was so that recording that is from the a live from the Met recording with Renata Scotto okay. as Louisa. I would just say, I mean, just on that clip alone. I mean, the music is really exciting. It sounds a lot like, I don't know, maybe Rossini. But uh, how scary is it to be in an acapella moment with your colleagues for whatever, two minutes long? It goes on for yeah. about two and a half minutes, and then the orchestra comes in right at the very end for the cadence. And you don't have like a, you don't have like a and that, that itself like, is a very Rossini thing. I mean, you think of Cantori in the, yeah. in the first act finale. There's a huge acapella ensemble, and then... Yeah. Orchestra come, you know, Rossini does that a that's lot. That's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. That's that scary. reason why it's terrifying, folks, is because um, it's very easy to go out of tune, and now you're relying basically on this soprano to, to, to stay in. And pitch, she has yeah. to sing all over the place. Yeah. And, it, it, and it, she it, changes key, like yeah. right in the beginning of that. So, so. Hmm. and, uh, but, but that, so that is pretty something, it's something unique that you will get to hear, Louisa Miller, that you won't get to hear everywhere else. Uh, <laughs> but there, there's also some real, like, good red sauce Italian, like, get your blood pumping mm. music in the, yeah. in the Act <laughs> 1 finale. So can we hear a clip of that as well? That's the other clip. It's the other clip one. fade out just as it starts to get really exciting so you still have something that you need to go see. <laughs> that's how they get you that's the clickbait uh, of uh, opera yes matt you're so quick baby i'm a millennial what do you want <laughs> matt you want to pass the ball to weston williams or you want to keep actually i think toby We're... wants to have a go toby so toby on... wants to play because they're still fighting so they have to like <laughs> well, no, on, on the other end of the spectrum um you know that's earlier verity and a not often heard piece. I guess this is similar in that it's never been heard before, but Santa Fe's, uh, we've talked about it on the show, but Santa Fe Opera's doing M. Butterfly. And I think that part of the reason that I'm really excited about this is it's a world premiere and so many people are going to be interested because it obviously, uh, the play is that we think Madam Butterfly Opera. And this is based on the 
um, play by uh, David Henry Huang's 1998 Tony Award-winning and Pulitzer Prize finalist uh, Broadway play of the same name. So it's, I'm excited to see it. Um, friend of the show, Kangman Justin Kim. Kangman Justin Kim. Oh, um, that's great. Is in it. Um, and then it's actually, you know, we talk about diversity. Um, it has a woman conductor, um, Zhang Zhang. Is she a lovely woman? Yeah, she looks. <laughs> she looks lovely. I don't know. What do you, uh, <laughs> what do you uh, want to say? <laughs> when, when, I, when I said Jane Glover was lovely, yeah. I meant she was a lovely human being. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't describing her physicality because I've worked with her. Yeah, she, she truly is a lovely woman. Okay. Like, she's really pleasant and wonderful yeah, to work with. It's a very with. English thing yeah. to just say is that someone is, is, is lovely. I, just, I felt like you were uh, attaching loveliness to her womanhood. Uh, to her character. Very gross. To her character. <laughs> Okay. Um. Anyway, so uh, Huang Ro is the <laughs> composer, and these guys actually they just they did the world premiere of American uh, Soldier, which was really well received at Opera Theater of St. Louis. So I'm interested to see that. And if you watch some of the publicity stuff going on, it's really interesting to listen to Huang Ro talk about his composition. Oh, we had an interview with him. You can yeah, go back, exactly. to, yeah, back in the archives. Exactly. So. so another friend of the show. That's another reason that I was excited because we've we've already invested a lot of time with people who are bringing <laughs> bringing this creative project to light. But it's really interesting to hear him talk about. Um, how he's taken certain things from Madame Butterfly and actually, in a compositional style, uh, inverted them. And I'm really interested to see what that'll sound like. So he talked about the the you know the opening and he like the fugue. Yeah, that's an American opera winner. Nobody. He says he he says he literally. What did you say it was? I said you're an American, uh, the American <laughs> Prize <laughs> Opera winner. That you all just got to hear from me. I, uh, the beginning of I am a winner of an American Prize. Um, but to, talking about taking that, um, you know, the opening bars and literally inverting them, I think is going to be really interesting. And I think people are going to be surprised at what they hear and what their expectations may be. Okay, but before we pivot uh, to Weston, like, to Weston's choice, yes. We are forgetting to mention that M. Butterfly was also made into a movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. When yes. was that? That was... That was back when these guys were still Eichlins. <laughs> I don't know. I was alive in 1988 when, it, when the play was written. Okay. I was not alive in 1988, Oliver, okay. so it's fine. Okay. So anyway, if you're listening to the show and you are also interested in this, please donate to our send uh, <laughs> opera box score to Santa Fe Fund. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I, I'm almost positive we've talked about that before, specifically Santa Fe. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. Get us, get us there. But also to your point, Oliver, maybe we should talk about that a little later. Yeah, I just lost the article, so somebody uh, fill it for me while we pull this article up. The uh, uh, well, let's go. Let's go over to Weston, and then we'll we'll circle back. Okay. Sure. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, uh, so um, I saw this uh, in the the write up, Weston. You, I have to admit, you showed great <laughs> restraint here. I did because uh, I was assuming you were going to pick Voitsek. Uh, oh yeah, I, I I was I was very close to picking the William Kentridge uh, Voitsek. Uh, production uh, at the Met, but Oliver told me he wouldn't. Uh, he would lock me out of the studio if I talked about Votesec <laughs> for a long time again. <laughs> so instead, I'm gonna uh, pivot. We need a little boundaries bit. here. <laughs> I'm gonna pivot a little bit, and we're gonna yeah, talk you're about me. Philip Glass's Akhenaten Baby, which is gonna be great. I'm so excited. Well, for you this. got three minutes, man. So make I it do. great. Oh, come on, he can. <laughs> yeah, we can. This we is can, this is the, our season finale. Yeah, we it's can. We can, we can nudge here, all so. around. Yeah. Uh, yeah so uh, this is. Um, <laughs> It's going to open November 8th at, at the Met, and it's going to be uh, the live and HD broadcast. is going to be November 23rd, uh, which is great because uh, I think it's a, a neat that all of our listeners could uh, theoretically go see it. Now, I hear, I hear all of you. I hear you mutter, and you're like, I don't know about Philip Glass. He's got all these arpeggios. I can't deal with arpeggios. <laughs> and I get that. I understand. It's a lot of arpeggios. 
However, let me hit you with some cool facts. First of all, <laughs> Anthony Ross Costanzo and Janai Bridges are going to be starring in it. It's going to be conduct, uh, uh, directed by Philem Mc, uh, McDerrett, who is uh, pretty neat uh, himself. It's going to be conducted by Karen uh, Kamensek. Uh, a woman, com- a woman conductor. Uh, Lovely lady. Her Met debut, uh, <laughs> uh, which is very. <laughs> Thanks, Oscar. Um, <laughs> that's a joke from the first segment for everyone who's just tuning in. <laughs> yeah, uh, somebody who doesn't episodes. listen to this week's podcast, listening next week is like, "Whoa, did Weston just forget his co-host's name?" <laughs> anyway, so uh, a couple things I like about uh, the opera as a whole. If you don't know it, this is the it's sort of the third opera in the Philip Glass um, uh, sort of a, a biographical trilogy, starting with Einstein on the Beach, then Satyagraha. And uh, Akhenaten, uh, Akhenaten is actually named for Akhenaten, who is an Egyptian pharaoh who basically uh, is most famous for uh, kicking out all the entire pantheon of Egyptian gods in order to worship um, the uh, sun god Aten, um, which is just a sun disk, which is uh, on stage and all, and all the photos I've seen of it, it's, it's, it's looming there. It's kind of like a, uh, like a middle period Max Ernst painting for all of you uh, art people out there. Um, and it, it, it looks really, it's really neat. It's actually a, a co-production uh, between, I believe, the L.A. Opera and the E.N.O., so it's not a Met production, which I think can only be a good thing for this opera, um, just because the Met uh, is, I don't think, is particularly equipped to deal very well with, with Philip Glass operas. Uh, that's a different conversation altogether. But uh, Akhenaten, if you will have some doubts about Philip Glass, I would say is kind of the perfect introduction if you're an opera person who's not sure about getting into Philip Glass. Because even though it has all the hallmarks of a typical glass opera, there, there's, there's, you know, uh, it, it's, it's repetitive, it's got the arpeggios, th- there, are, there, are, uh, uh, there are arcs of drama, there, there are builds, and there, there's violence, there's, uh, it, it doesn't ever feel static. It always feels like it's growing and shifting, and it's got, and the orchestration for this opera, I think, is the best of any Philip Glass opera uh, I've heard you can you can really hear the Nadia Boulanger, you know. Uh, 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 don't I know it? <laughs> don't you know it? <laughs> Me and Matt know all about that. Um, but yeah, just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and we and even better, we have a specifically kind of a sneak preview of this opera. And that's going to be clip number one, which we're going to play in a second. Uh, this is actually a recording by Anthony Roth Costanzo, who is going to be performing Akhenaten. Uh, oh, I should say, in 1983, when this opera came out, a countertenor lead role, a new lead role. This was pretty. Uh, on a big stage, it's pretty shocking. Um, and uh, so this is off of his uh, his recent album, ARC, uh, which is a, a combination of glass uh, arias by Philip Glass and arias by Handel. And this is the, the Hymn to the Sun from Akhenaten, if you wouldn't mind playing that, George. <laughs> This is the uh, the only aria 
in the language of the people watching it. It's in English. Um, uh, this opera is full of um, sort of um, sung uh, uh, Egyptian. There's sung Akkadian, which is really neat. Um, you, and there's uh, even uh, little bits of, um, uh, uh, the, the only other bits of English you hear, I should say, um, are spoken uh, and they're translations of like uh, the, the Egyptian Book of the Dead and things like that. Uh, and it's a fascinating piece. It's a really sort of ritualistic piece. And everything I've read and seen of this production just really, really is exciting to me. I think it'd be great if we could get uh, Anthony Roth Costanzo in, in uh, one of our shows at some point. I think we could. I did actually post on Facebook on the uh, Met page a little joke underneath the uh, the setup, uh, talking about oh, the, God. the orb and please, Andy Roth. Please tell me that it was funny and that you didn't. Embarrass it was really us. funny. It was great. I was not. I was not speaking on behalf of the show, but Anthony Ross Costanzo found my Roth. comment Roth. and put it's not a like little. Diana Ross. It's Roth. Roth. I said Roth, didn't I? Okay. Mm. Did I say that, Oscar? That's fine. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Roth Costanzo. He put a little heart next to my con- uh, my. Uh, did he con- really? He did. He absolutely did. Boom. He's basically begging. Yeah. Interview. <laughs> yeah. He really, really wants to be on the That's show. That's how we get him. Yep. That- <laughs> Emojis. We, we will send Oliver to the dressing room to get the interview. I think there's actually nudity. Maybe in, uh, not in this production, but the one they did in England. Yes, uh, there was well. nudity. Uh, he's supposed to, uh, in the original production, he came on and was silent and nude for a very long mm-hmm. time. I kind of doubt the Mets going to do that for at least for the live in, live in HD. Um, although, if only they do, one way to find out, they will for the live <laughs> only one way to find out. We got a lot more coming up on our epic three-hour show. We're halfway through at this point, but coming up next, Anthony Bereze inducts a rarity into the hallowed halls of the Opera Box Score Hall of Fame. I want you to stick around for that Opera Box Score on WNUR eighty-nine point three FM HD, Northwestern Evanston, Chicago. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. So, we call ourselves America's talk radio show about opera. Why? Because we are. With an ever-growing base of fans subscribing to the OBS podcast and a stadium full of listeners tuning into our live broadcast, we are in the ear holes of the opera audience you want to reach. Want to promote your opera-related service or event? Or propose to the bear hunk in your life? Maybe you just want the sound of your name memorialized on air by our announcer, Norm Waddell. Anything's possible. Drop us a line at operaboxscore at gmail.com for rates and availability. And now, ladies and gentlemen, this is OBS Hall of Famer, our enthusiastic yet humble Salute to a distinguished opera artist who has gone above and beyond to contribute greatly, distinctively, and with grand significance to the art and honor of opera. The intro doesn't get much better than that, Norm Waddell. Helping us out on Opera Box Score, it's America's talk radio show about opera. George Cedarquist here, along with Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and our guest co-host tonight, conductor Anthony Bereze. And Bereze, you have the honor and the privilege of inducting somebody into our OBS Hall of Fame. 
It's the first guest, H-O-F, O-B-S. It's not a person, but rather a work. But I could I could have extended this to the person um, because it's uh, the work is Guillontel, the final work by Rossini. I think there are several reasons that this should be in the Hall of Fame. It, it used to be a rarity. Thankfully, it's becoming less and less of a rarity. I think it's Rossini's greatest opera. I think it's also up there with... Better the, than La Scala di Seta? Better than La, better than La Scala di Seta. But I think it's also up there with some of, one of the greatest operas of all time. And I think it's what's particularly interesting about this work for me is that you have a composer at, at the height of his creative power, a, a, a quite a young man, too, uh, writing this masterpiece and then quitting and not writing another opera for the rest of his life. I cannot think of another... Um, I just can't think of a, of a parallel in, in sports or anywhere else where somebody who was at the top of their game, the best in the world... Didn't he retire like 35 or 35, something? 35, yeah. That's crazy young. <laughs> retired, didn't stop writing opera. He still composed. He still right, composed right, quite right. a bit of music, mm. but uh, stopped writing opera at the height of his powers. Uh, and th- the first clip I want to play, I, in college I took a class um, called Beethoven and Rossini, which is sort of a... You don't think of those two people as... Uh, being, you know, in the same uh, breath, but but they they were, you know, contemporaries, and this class was, you know, more, it was about you know a lot of Beethoven and a lot of Rossini, but also in some ways the way that they the ways that they intersected, and this this first piece that I'm going to play, uh, uh, Swazimobile, um, really important dramatic aria from uh, the third act of Guillontel, where. Uh, Tell is telling his son uh, Jemmy to stay still. You know when I when I try to hit the apple off your head with the arrow, and it. I knew Rossini, but I knew the Rossini of Barbara Seville. I knew the Rossini of Italiani in Algeri. I knew I knew the comic Rossini, and the first time I heard this piece in this class, I, I just could not believe that this was Rossini. You play this hmm. for most people, and you say, just guess who the composer is, unless the pe- person knows this piece. No, nobody would guess Rossini. Let's take a listen to the to this. Oh, 
That sounds like Don Carlo. It, it right? <laughs> it does. No, it was like 50 yeah, years right. later. <laughs> Don Carlos sounds like this. Yeah, that's, yeah, you know, that's the that, And that's the thing. I, one of the things I love about Rossini is like, you know, who's, you know, I ask people, who's your favorite Italian opera composer? And, you know, whether it's Bellini or Donizetti or Verdi or Puccini, none of these guys are possible without Rossini. I mean, really, none of these guys could have existed. And this looks, I mean, to me, it sounds like, you know, it's got the, the solo cello kind of like in Rigoletto. It's in a minor key, which you never think of with Rossini. You know, mm. in Barbara Seville, I think the only minor key music is the storm music. Well, he, he's he's so he's so known for comedies, though. Right. I mean, there's but, a... but in his lifetime, he wasn't. That's the right. thing. That's what's so interesting. And so the next piece I, I, I want to play. Who was that singing? Bacchier. Okay. That's from a 1989 uh, uh, studio recording. I think it was the first full studio recording of the entire opera. That's the one with Caballé and. Yep, exactly. Okay. And Gedda. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna change tack a little bit because. You know, one of the things that Verdi and, 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 and successors became known for was the full-throated high C. Before that, <laughs> the high C was a falsetto note. Nobody would s sing it just full out. But in Guillaume Tell, or, um, the, not, not the first person to sing Arnold, but the second person to sing Arnold uh, became very famous for doing this full-throated high C. Uh, and Rossini himself hated it. He said he's, <laughs> it sounded like a capon. Um, he just he thought it was it was it was absolutely which horrible. is a rooster. <laughs> But I think it's like a castrated and, rooster, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so and also accurate. Yeah. <laughs> this is a recording. This is a, a studio recording. Uh, Shai conducting of Pavarotti singing. Oh, I bet Ar he can hit the note. Uh, yeah. Arnold's Arnold's fourth act. Um, Just for our audience, what Ar was the name of that tenor who first sang the high C? Oh God, Rubini. Rubini. It Rubini. No, it wasn't Dupre. No, it was Dupre. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Oh. Yeah. Take that, Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The funniest thing, I, I, we're going to use Oscar in every Adolf single Marie, episode now. Uh, premiered it, and then and then Dupre, who, who I think he sang the first, Edgardo, uh, uh, Edgardo and Lucia, yeah. yeah. And then Nuri ended up uh, killing himself. Yeah, that's a whole other episode because he couldn't sing anymore because everyone wanted these full high C's. Wow. But oh, this is gosh. a recording of Pavarotti singing the last few bars of it, and just you can hear where where we get this from. So that could be Manrico for those of you like yeah. totally. thought that sounded well, like. Oh, yeah, what's really good. interesting is you know Gedda actually does it quite a bit better in the French and in, in French it's Ozarme yeah. and but Pavarotti singing in Italian Alar Alarmi yeah. <laughs> he does the C on the on the worst yeah. oh, possible. What's, the what's recording your... of Brian E. Mel singing that one is absolutely insane. Yeah, he holds it for like fifteen yeah. seconds. Do you have a definitive opinion on the Italian versus the French version? I mean, I think yeah, yes, the, the French version is the version. Okay, yeah, okay. absolutely. I don't want to derail you, but I just want you to comment on. Uh, an idea that Italian opera composers really learn their stagecraft when they work in France. Well, you know, all of them to a person hated working in France. Like, you know, the letters <laughs> Verdi and Donizetti and, and Brasini, they said, you know, Verdi said, oh my God, these people, they rehearse too much. 
here. Like he just couldn't believe like how much he he thought there was so much unnecessary kind of stuff going on. But but I will say that all of the composers struggled with writing for for France. I mean, Guillaume Tell was just too long. You know, he had to cut it down. Don Carlo, we know, went through several revisions and had to be cut down. I mean, I, I think they really struggled with it, but because it was so so foreign to what they were doing, and they had they had to inject certain elements into it. They had to inject the ballet, yeah. Um, and you know, and and all these guys did speak French, but I, I think they they certainly learned a, about themselves uh, whether or not they learned how to write dramatically. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. We've got a great crew in the house tonight for our three-hour epic season finale. Right now, conductor Anthony Bereze inducting our first, he's our first guest to induct a work into the OBS So, so this one will always have an asterisk fame. next to it because yes. it's it a will. Guess, yeah. It will. It's like <laughs> baseball and like steroids. Bereze, you said Kavanaugh, that the finale you know. of Guillaume Tell yes. was the best piece of music written in C major ever. I think it's both the best piece of music ever written in C major and it's the best Rossini crescendo ever written. Oh, we think of the Rossini crescendo as this this sort of comic thing where you know there's there's an oscillating bass line. And we then, actually have an American Opera Prize winner who can demonstrate one for us. Oh, yeah, can you do one? Right. <laughs> it's like Cenerentola for six minutes, and you're like, oh, wait, I, I've not heard anything different. But this is the Rossini Crescendo in a very different way. It's an accumulation of instruments, of sound, and it just gets louder and louder and louder until you just cannot believe how, how glorious this music is. And this isn't the last... To me, this is the end of this kind of writing for... for, for, for at least in this period of music, that that's kind of a meaningless sentence. But for me, this is this the end of an era. This this the end of this is like the end of Rossini as a as an opera composer.
Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of noise, and it's beautiful. It's yeah, it's just it's it's one of the most powerful pieces I I know, and it's it it's so satisfying. I mean, you you think of Tristan, you have to wait, you know, four hours to, for like a cadence. <laughs> this like you have to you have to wait, you know, you have to wait until this kind of monumental crescendo comes in in the entire. It's just everybody. It's every except for you know Gessler who's dead, but it's it's everybody. Spoilers. I know, right. <laughs> I just love this this uh, and and you you can hear so many other things in this piece you know in the second act finale Verdi just just lifted pages from it you know when he was doing Aida there's oh, for so, sure there's so much in this in this opera that that led in so many new new ways for Rossini but also new ways for Italian opera and I just think it's 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 so we're running out a little bit out of time but I wanted just to tie it all to your career because what you're doing at Opera Southwest is uh, basically teaching an audience to love Rossini. Yes. Have you gotten to present this opera yet? We did. We did this one in uh, 2017. And do you Without Barese, this opera wouldn't have been done in the United States since 2016. Would you? No, but they did it in the match. <laughs> yeah. In 2016. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, okay. But he's done it twice since then. Oh, okay. So no, how, how do you feel like that the audience received it, and do you feel like they, they, were, re it. they were ready for it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, we slowly got them there. You know, everyone likes the comedies, but we did... Otello, uh, which I think is a, a fantastic work. We did Tancredi, which for you know for almost a half Tancredi. century it was the most popular opera in the world, and nobody does it anymore. But it's a fantastic work. So we did enough of the serious works that by the time we got to William, T and everyone knows the, the you know, stupid overture. So right. by the time we got to <laughs> to, it's, I mean, I say stupid just because because of what it's become. Sure, it's you, a phenomenal you overture. You, you just start listening to it, and you just see that guy riding on the horse, right, just in yeah. black and white, yeah. which can yeah. be a bit of a bummer. Some sometimes yeah yeah great work so there we go guillaume tell into the opera box a worthy, it's official. Hall a worthy of introduction a very worthy hallowed halls. introduction indeed hey after the break lots more to come on this season finale show uh we've got <laughs> three more previews three more wish list operas to yes. come plus in the third and final hour or the third podcast episode we've got that interview with Marisol Montavo as well. Stick around on WNUR 89.3 FM and HD Northwestern, Evanston, Chicago. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, here's a tip. If you've recently started listening to our show, you already know there's nothing else like it. Week in, week out, you get our panel's hot takes on opera news in the two-minute drill, plus our patented segments like Fantasy Fockball, Monday Evening Quarterback, and Crunching the Numbers. But you might not know about some of the incredible interview guests who have gone inside the huddle with our team, like tenor Matthew Polanzani, composer Gregory Spears, intendantin Kirsten Harms, and countertenor Jakub Josef Orlinski, to name just a few. Check out the Opera Box Score archives on SoundCloud. Just go to soundcloud.com and search for Opera Box Score. And you can tell us about your favorite interviews on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed. This is America's talk radio show about opera with George Cedarquest, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, 
and Weston Williams. Oh, Weston Thanks for oh, hanging no, out with us tonight. Opera here. Box Score, <laughs> WNUR 89.3 FM. It is indeed America's talk radio show about Woo! opera. It is indeed the only Let's place go. in this country, week in and week out, is, is talking about opera I feel like you're live. kind of calling out other podcasts for not being weekly. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, stating the f- I'm stating the facts. And what I'm saying is this, is that it is tough to get into this studio week in and week out and do a fantastic show interviews, articles, hot takes. It's a lot of work. It pays off. But that's why there's nothing else like it out there. Period. Full stop. What are we, four years in? Three years in? Season five starts in September, man. I've been here since the beginning. Time flies when you're having fun. That's true, bro. You and I, man. It all started in a a basement with some whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) That was... We got lots more season previews coming up in this segment. And of course, uh, in the nine o'clock hour or the third of three podcasts as well, Marisol Montalvo goes inside the huddle with Oliver Camacho. Uh, Oliver, do you want to go now and do your sure. mine, season pick? Mine is, doesn't take that long. Um, we've talked about it. It never for- does. Oh, dang, bro. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> that's just uh, that's just Oscar. That, Oscar that didn't even make it. sense, and it hurt. <laughs> didn't it? <laughs> I think the thing we've learned from this marathon is that by, by, by about halfway through hour two, we start to get really mean. No, I, just, no. I can't wait Sorry. for the last hour. I just hour. like to get to the cuddling part. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love you all. So um, we've been talking about Opera Philadelphia's O Festival, speaking of going by really fast um, for a couple of years now and I've never been and I'm definitely trying to get there this year because part of their O Festival offerings uh, is going to be Handel's Semele uh, which will be conducted by a friend of the show and recent interview guest Gary Thorowido uh, so go back into, go back into your uh, podcast feed uh, and look for that interview from Amherst Early Music Festival Semele will be played by none other than Amanda Forsyth who is one of my favorite Handelians and uh, just all-around great singer singing today. Uh, also rounding out the cast is Alex Schrader. Star of The Audition. <laughs> yeah, isn't he married to Isabel Leonard, or he's married to somebody? He's married to somebody. <laughs> Let's just roll. married to somebody. To oh, somebody and Daniela Mack will be singing the role of Juno and Eno. Uh, other uh, cast members include Sarah Schaefer as Iris and Tim Mead, countertenor, singing Athamas. Mm. Uh, and Alex Schrader is, in fact, married to Daniela Mack. Dan, uh, he is Mrs. Daniela, Mr. Daniela Mack, uh, who, uh, like I said, Daniela Mack is the mezzo in the show. And she's also, we actually had, we played a clip of her singing a Handel lick one time on the show, like 16 bars of color to her, like a one breath type of thing. Um, yeah, there, oh, so yeah, it's, I remember yeah, that. It's yeah. just a great cast all around. And Gary, is, Gary Wado is incredible. Uh, it'll be directed by James Dara, or Dara, I don't know how you say his name. James Dara, yeah. James mm-hmm. Dara. Who, Fantastic director out of Los Angeles. Who drink? Uh, who directed uh, their award-winning production uh, or their acclaimed production of Breaking the Waves a couple of years ago? Mm. So the O Festival has other shows uh, in it. I, you can go to their website to see. That's uh, operafilla.org. Um, they usually have some world premieres. This year, is, there's going to be a, a show uh, called Dennis and Katya, and another premiere called Let Me Die, and they're doing it in different venues simultaneously. The other main stage opera is uh, The Love for Three Oranges. Ooh, love that one. So all these operas sort of run simultaneously from uh, the 18th of September through the 29th. So you can really go there and spend, you know, three days and see all of these shows. And I'm going to try to get there because Amanda Forsyth, uh, like I said, is a great artist. She's coming to Chicago later this year to sing with CSO. Let's hear a little bit of Amanda Forsyth 
from the Handel Arias recital disc uh, that she made with Apollo's Fire. This is Da Tempeste. So that recording is uh, readily found on the YouTubes and on Spotify. I just wanted to end the recording a little bit early so that I can ask Anthony if he's ever listened to, to Amanda Forsyth. And one time we had a conversation, I would say like five years ago, about singers and ornamentation and how you're a little bit, uh, you don't have that much confidence in singers' ability to, to ornament. And Amanda writes all her own ornaments. So. Well, that, that's really wonderful. I mean, I don't listen to Handel on purpose, so... Um... <laughs> Uh, except for under duress, but but no, I mean if it's somebody who does do their own, own ornaments is it's pretty pretty spectacular. I mean that's it's sad that that's that's the case. It, it should be something that that we all do, but you're just not trained to do it anymore. Hmm. Shade. Nor are we trained. <laughs> yeah, we, we should write a letter to IU about that. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> Call back. We're not, we're not trained to act. We're not trained to yeah. ornament. <laughs> How about what you? are we really doing with these singers in the world yeah. today? How about you, George? For my pick coming up for yeah. the coming season. Or ornaments, if you would prefer to talk about that. <laughs> I, I, have, I have nothing to say about ornaments, as much as I love Handel and am addicted to Handel. No, I'm, I'm going overseas for the thing that I really would love to see. So uh, this is... I was setting myself up for uh, success here. So over at the Deutsche Oper Berlin, which is the, the opera house in the former West Germany... Uh, they have a number of spaces in the building, and their studio space used to be this old woodworking shop, and it's now called the Tischlerei, the place where the, the tables are made. And there is a... <laughs> it's such a German it's a, you know, word. It's such a good, good Great, thing there's a word for that. That's why it's called Tischlerei <laughs> and not the place where tables are made. Uh, so this is where their most progressive work is being done, and there is a piece, uh, a new work, composed by Malta Giesen, who was born in 1988. Hmm. And this is a piece that's coming up in September, directed by Paul Georg Dittrich, conducted by Tillmann Wilt. It's called Wolf's Schlust, which is the Wolf's Glen. So if you Bless know... You. Oh, right. Yes, exactly. If you know <laughs> the opera by Weber, Der Freischutz, the, the, the Wolf's Glen is the place where he meets the incarnation of the devil. This piece is an adaptation of Freischutz for three singers, a children's choir, two French horns, piano, and electronics, hmm. which is a site-specific version, contemporary version of the opera. In the story of the opera, Max, who's the main character who makes this pact with the devil, he gets these seven magical silver bullets and those are have been taken in this production as the the central image and so the piece is split into seven scenes each one that concerns itself with one of these seven bullets and each of those scenes takes place in a different part of this building called the Tischlerei 
It sounds super phenomenal. Fleischutz is such a dreadful opera. I can't wait to see something that's really exciting and interesting. I, I was about All to Freischitz say stands are going to be in your mentions on Twitter, George. And 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 well, they should be. I I, I find that opera so dull. I, I well, uh, this, however, seventy five minutes, site specific and immersive theater for a fantastic. I do like score. how they named it after the one objectively good scene in the opera. Uh, the wolf's <laughs> Well, you got to market it. You know what yeah, I mean. True, true. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit uh, Paul Gehrig up on Twitter and and say you got a you got a fan in Chaitan right here. <laughs> this guy yes. looks really intense, by the way. He's wearing like a leather jacket in his headshot. Who's the director? Don't want to meet him in a dark alley. An intense German director of yeah. opera. I, don't I know. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought I'd live to see the day. Uh, Bereza, how about you? What are you looking forward to in this coming 2019-2020 season? Well, un- unlike you, George, I have no problem uh, shamelessly promoting myself and my work. So the work that I'm most... <laughs> well, you're a guest, so that's... Yes, I, that I am truly most excited about is in Opera Southwest on October 20th, 25th, and 27th is the new world premiere of Giovanni Bottasini's uh, 1871 opera Ali Baba. This work has not been uh, done since the 1870s. It was written by Bottasini when he was um, head of the music director of the Lyceum Theater in London. Uh, and it was probably done in English at the time, but he wrote it in Italian. Um, it t- tells the story of, of Ali Baba. And um, for those of you who don't know Bottasini, Bottasini is kind of an important uh, person in the history of music. He was known as the Paganini of the double bass. He was also a very important uh, composer. What a distinction. I know. Well, very That's amazing. <laughs> very important composer for the double bass. Some of his concerti are still in the repertoire. And he also conducted the world premiere of Aida. He oh, really? Like, yes, he did. He did in Cairo. He in was, Cairo, yeah. Yep, uh, Verdi entrusted him to do that. And this was written the same year that uh, Aida was premiered. So it's a comic opera, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an 1871 comic opera. Mo- by that time, m- composers really weren't writing comic... Italian composers were not writing comic opera. I mean, they, we have the exception, obviously, of Falstaff later on. But uh, really... Giorno di Re. Giorno di Re was... was, was what, I didn't even know what year that was, but it was certainly... It was before 1871. Yeah, before yeah. So it's a delightful work, and uh, and I've been spending the last five years reconstructing it ba- from the composer's manuscript, sort of note by note, and putting this thing together. And we're doing it with a, a really great cast. I, I made a, a real concerted effort to hire a diverse cast, mostly of people of Middle Eastern descent. We have Ashraf Suelem, uh, Monica Yunus, Kevin Thompson, Christopher Bozeka, Laurel uh, Semergian, and um, our director... Laurel. Laurel. Toby knows Laurel. And our director, Afouad uh, Faridzadeh, who's uh, Iranian, and he's going to bring kind of a real, a real authenticity to the production. So I'm really tell, excited about tell that. Tell us a little bit about the, the music of this. I, I'm dying to know, first of all, is there like a lot of double bass in there? The, well, the, the, the main, the, the, there's a lot of thematic writing in there that you don't really see in uh, Italian opera in that uh, Ali Baba himself has a, a theme and it's a, it's a, Ali Baba is a bass singer and right. his theme is announced in the bass is right from the overture and, and, and it kind of goes throughout the, 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 um, the opera, this boom, 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 kind of th- this articulated thing. I wouldn't say that the basses have obnoxiously a lot to do, but they certainly have more to do than in your average Italian right. opera. Yeah. They're not doing, he's not, people aren't doing crazy harmonics high on the, on the fingerboard or anything like that, but there is a sort of thematic material that happens in the bass uh, that that is more interesting than your than your stock Italian opera. Let me go back to the casting process, Anthony. Obviously, you said you're looking for singers of color. I mean, how just how difficult 
was that process and what was a lot more difficult than I thought it would be. Um, you know, it, w- it wasn't just that we wanted singers of color. I wanted singers specifically of Middle Eastern, uh, right. You know, descent. And, and it's, it's, first of all, it's kind of hard to just ask for that. You know, it gets, gets a little dicey and it's, and, but I, but I just straight up asked certain agents, do you have anybody of, and they'd be like, oh. thank you. Because I do have to be proactive about these things. You, you do, have, but, but agents don't have, I mean, I, I know I've worked with Ashraf, Several times, Monica, I, I worked with a number of years ago. Uh, Laurel, I, I knew from um, from Dallas and, and also in Sarasota. But uh, the other people was just, you know, I just held auditions and I and I just sort of kind of kept my mind open for for this kind of thing. It is certainly difficult to do um, to do specific. You know, my my dream was like it's going to be only Middle East people of Middle Eastern descent, and then I was like, okay, it'll only be. People of color, and then it's like, well, it'll be people that are darker than me. Like you know, it just got <laughs> like the the bar kept getting and lower and lower as it got you know. You can always ask Anna Trapko; she's always willing to put on some. Oh, body oh, oh, oh dang! Yeah, I did. I definitely Shots didn't want to do fired. that. I definitely didn't want to do that. But but <laughs> all of our our leads and 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 many of our apprentice artists are you know uh, are either of uh, you know, are, are singers of color or they're of Middle Eastern descent. So we're, we're and but but getting Fouad as the director was really the the, the most important per- piece for me. He's he's well known for uh, in film and in commercials and does a lot of theater. This is his first opera. So we're, and he was born oh, in uh, Iran. So he has a real um, and he and he lived there before the revolution and after the revolution. Wow. So wow, really excited about That's that. That's fantastic. That's awesome. I mean, it's, what you've said is it's hard work. To do, and it's important work. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. So we have just a few minutes. Let's recap. We'll go, we'll go around the horn. Uh, Matt Cummings, what's your recommendation for the fall? Louisa Miller at Lyric Opera of Chicago. When does that run? It runs in October. <coughs> and then we go to Toby. And Butterfly at Santa Fe Opera, which doesn't run this year. I misunderstood the assignment. <laughs> it is next. It is in the upcoming season, and that'll be in the summer of 2020. <laughs> Nice. That's just a, like the just close your eyes and it'll be tomorrow. So, <laughs> how about you, Weston? Um, well, Voltsek opens in December. We're not talking about okay, Voltsek. Okay, <laughs> fine. Uh, uh, Akhenaten it opens November eighth. That's at the Metropolitan Opera. But if you're like me and can't get to New York, uh, you can always go to your local movie theater, watch it live in HD on November twenty third. And if there's a nude scene, we can play with the popcorn. With the popcorn. Whoa. The, the popcorn. Never mind, Weston. <laughs> You'll figure it out one Whoa. day. So I'm too young for that kind of thing, Oliver. <laughs> um, so my recommendation is uh, Opera Philadelphia's O Festival, specifically to see Semele, conducted by Gary Thorwedo, and that's in mid-September. If you're going to be in Berlin in September, get off the main drag and get into the Tischlerei at the Deutsche Oper Berlin and see this piece, <laughs> Wolf's Schloss. Uh, excuse me, I'm looking yeah. for the Tischlerei. <laughs> <laughs> if you are in the American Southwest, uh, please come to Albuquerque on either October 20th, 25th, or 27th to see the new world premiere of Giovanni Bottasini's 1871 Ali Baba. With people who are all browner than you. Yep. Okay. <laughs> That's the goal. Well, and it depends we, on who you are. Just yeah. going back, just going right back just a little bit to George, I just just... Just going up to someone in the street, just asking, hey, Voista I want to know where the tables are made. <laughs> and Schilderung, bitte. Tell me where the, you tell me where the tables <laughs> are made. Bad goal on Opera Box Score. All right, time to wrap up our second hour of this show. We have one more hour to go here, by the way. Or, of course, if you're listening to our podcast, that's going to be next week for you. Thanks so much for 
hanging out with us on what is going to be a long, long evening. But that is it for the second hour of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. General managers at WNUR, Henry Moskal, Somo Songvi, our announcer, Norm Waddell, at VoxerShorts.com, our theme song, Vodka Inferno. On Facebook, you can search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts on Twitter, at Opera Box Score. Please leave that review when you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and our guest co-host, conductor Anthony Bereze, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera in English or in German. Again, for our live audience, stand by for hour three of the epic show. If you're listening for the podcast re-release, the final chapter, it's going to wait till next week. This is WNUR 89.3 FM in HD, Northwestern Evanston, Chicago, Chicago Sound Experiment.